And welcome back, everybody, to the freaking awesome podcast. And this is episode 44. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Let's kill that bass head. Let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T-Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP. Welcome back, everybody, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Bose, and sitting across from me is a pillow with Maddie G's face taped to it. <laughs> and to go with that pillow and picture, here is Maddie G's disembodied voice. Maddie G, how are you doing, buddy? <laughs> I live inside your pillow. <laughs> now, we've really always talked about what happens that. to that pillow, right? So, <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. It's true. Uh, how are you doing with the social distancing, bud? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, you tired of it? Tired yeah. of your family? Ready to go to work again? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like yeah. the the nice thing is the weather's been good. It's a little rainy today, actually, but it has been good. So I've been just been been getting the uh, the spring cleaning done, man. Getting the garage cleared out and getting the yard cleaned up. And what about you? Yeah, that's it's the same. It's a lot of yard work. I've chopped down a lot of trees, and uh, yeah, it's, it's keeping me busy. That's for sure. Nice, nice. Perfect. Speaking of busy, uh, today's special guest is a historical fiction author uh, with a countless number of five-star reviews for his novels, such as A Cobbler's Tale, The Righteous One, uh, Moonflower, and most recently, number one on the Mystery Tribune's compiled list of latest and greatest for April 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, big welcome for Neil Perry Gordon. Neil, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you. What a great introduction. Well, we try our best. We do a little research there. And uh, I got to tell you, it's uh, you seem to have a, a great uh, year starting for you. You've got uh, not only the, the one newest uh, book out, but you also have another one coming up in June, correct? Yeah, actually, it's coming out really quickly. Uh, it'll be out sometime in June. And that's Hope City. That's my latest, my latest novel about the uh, gold rush in Alaska in 1898. That's fantastic. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, ladies and gentlemen who are listening right now, you definitely have a, we have a special extra, uh, extra special surprise for you. And uh, you want to, to make sure that uh, you catch the show and uh, stay tuned because uh, Neil's going to tell us all about it in a little bit. Uh, but for now, Matty G, how about you lead us into the news? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first article, delayed delivery. Toronto man finally gets hair cream he ordered back in 2012. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> I know they call it so, snail mail, but wow. Man, I complain about Canada Post so much, and now I am totally justified, and I'm just going to reference this story every time that I complain about it. I'm just going to be like, hey, remember that article I read about <laughs> the guy that didn't get his packets for eight years? So, All right. Tell us some yeah, more. Yeah. So, what's that? I said, tell us some more. Okay. You got it. Um, so, uh, a Toronto man finally received an expedited package from Canada Post after eight years. Elliot Bernstein uh, posted on Reddit this week he received a package on May 6th from well.ca. He didn't recall ordering anything recently from the pharmacy, so he was surprised to find a tube of hair cream that he ordered eight years ago with an invoice signed by Jen thanking him for his order. So, the actual invoice was eight years old. Wow. So... Upon opening the package, um, I realized it was a tube of bulk, uh, burl cream I ordered back in 2012. 
Um, the contents of the tube is yellow, and I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be white. Uh, my theory, it was just sitting at Canada Post, and uh, somebody finally decided to deliver it after eight years. Um, the Berenstein, a 29-year-old resident physician, said he started laughing when he realized uh, what had happened. I quickly realized it was an order I had placed uh, in 2012 that I never got. He'd been living in Ottawa where he placed his order, but the hair cream never arrived at that address. So Well.ca said they'd ship a product again to his Toronto home, um, which he thought might be easier. When it didn't arrive again, he just gave up. I think it probably got misplaced somewhere, maybe in one of the mail sorting rooms and was off to the side and no one ever looked for it. Maybe they're trying to reorganize things with the whole COVID and it finally came up. He also didn't follow up with Canada Post to see what happens, uh, given the hair cream was only five bucks. Um, Canada Post actually issued a statement on Thursday saying that it was investigating a very unique situation. Uh, we can only speculate at this point what have happened. Um, well.ca confirmed its customer care center shipped its package eight years ago. So they actually went and found the order and uh, have shipping confirmation that they sent it out. So it got stuck in Canada Post somewhere along the way. And, and uh, yeah, it, it arrived after eight years. So I, I thought that was just friggin' great. Because I'm always complaining about Canada Post. <laughs> so, I, I, sounds yeah. Like, sounds like Norm from Seinfeld. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's there's a few things um, about that that were super funny. And, and yeah, that the, the, the first one, of course, was no doubt after that amount of time, that Korean has totally expired by the time he got <laughs> it. <laughs> but um, the, the fact that the invoice not only had said the date on it, and uh, I bet you it was in probably pretty good con condition considering it was probably printed on thermal paper and never actually saw the light of day. So yeah, uh, it was probably quite clear to read. And I saw that. So I saw that they, they posted the picture on, on the, um, the site for, for, with the news article. Yeah. And uh, the print was like as clean as the day it was printed. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I want to know what what brill cream is made from because you know I don't think it's anything natural, so I don't know what it turned into. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Yeah. I could imagine when it came, it probably just smelled like every type of medicine that was at that. You know, like back in the eighties, <laughs> how all medicines smelt the same. Uh, it was it, just it, a shot of gin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh goodness. All right. You should make everything out of the same stuff they make Twinkies from because those things seem to last forever. <laughs> Yeah. And those yeah, and those are yellow too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh I, I gotta tell you, it it's definitely there's a few times that Canada Post has let me down and um and now I uh, you know what? Maybe there there's the silver lining on all this COVID thing is they're finally getting to, to mail that's probably been sitting on their shelves for eight years. So uh good good for you, Canada Post. Keep it up. <laughs> I just can't believe it showed up, man. Like yeah. that's a crazy thing. Like you figured they would have just thrown it out. Like I don't want to admit defeat here, so I'm just gonna throw this order out. But no, they finally delivered it, which kind of they kind of shot themselves in the foot. <laughs> you but, know what I mean? But you know what? But to think about it in the back, the, in back in like the really old days and stuff, like mail just it, it got there, and and even if it was like a letter you know saying like hey your your son or husband died in the war <laughs> that letter would still eventually make it and they'd be like good old mailman got that mail through no matter what <laughs> that's true that's so true. i think it's just as society we've become so impatient if it doesn't happen within five days like they're dead to us well i mean it's the netflix era bro if it's yeah. not instant it doesn't exist it's true that's true so. We should right. go back to carrier pigeon. <laughs> you and the carrier pigeons. You're you're definitely <laughs> hey. like you're just pushing for a coop, aren't you? 
<laughs> I may, I may or may yeah. not. I, you bring up pigeons seat. so many times on this show that I swear Ashley is probably bracing for you to start building a pigeon coop back there, <laughs> and 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 she'd be like, "No, I knew you. This was going to happen. You've been talking about <laughs> pigeons for the last she, two years." <laughs> yeah, she saw she saw the writing in the stars. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, what do you got for us, Tony? So my article, uh, the title reads, Police Apprehend Robbers Masked in Melons. So, yeah. So across melons? the... Melons, yes. Like like watermelons? Watermelons. <laughs> Actually, specifically watermelons. Uh, what <laughs> happened was as uh, across the, the country with this COVID thing, uh, America struggles to find face masks. And they're now required by most businesses and states to stay at home Um with, uh, you know, orders to to um, not go out unless you have the mask. So consequently, uh, those in need for masks who work from uh, who are for work are even more in dire straits. So the front line workers, medical workers and professionals and apparently robbers are all scrambling to find face coverings um, before the uh, all the public snatches it up. So what happened was uh, there was some security footage uh, that shows two men in a lifted black Toyota Tacoma arriving at a, a Sheets convenience store about 9.30 at night. Uh, they both get out of their vehicle and their masks <laughs> and their face are masked by hollowed out watermelons with their heads inside <laughs> them. <laughs> oh my God. Now, yeah. the uh, Louisa police chief, uh, Tom Leary, told CNN, like, this is definitely not something you see every day. Uh, we're actually a really nice, quiet town. Uh, and not a lot actually happens here, but you know, hard, per, uh, hardworking people. And, um, this has got, this is something pretty unusual. Uh, and he said, it's, it's actually so unusual that I can say this has never actually happened before. Um, according to the AP news, the Louisiana uh, police department put out a call for the public to, uh, asking tipsters to help identify the quote unquote melon heads. The request bore fruit, though, as the authorities arrested one suspect, Justin Rogers, last week as they brought in an assortment of charges against him, two of which were in um, uh, to, to basically give the, uh, the incident appearance of a teenage hijinks rather than the work of a criminal mastermind. Uh, they were basically charged with underage possession of alcohol and petty larceny of alcohol. Uh, the, the first... <laughs> First, it's impression of, of the men found watermelons that basically fit over their head was quite ingenious. Because it's not often that you're going to come across a watermelon that fits on your head. Uh, secondly, though, that the, um, <laughs> the, you know, you hope that their decision to mask their identities in fruit meant they were leaving life-saving masks to others who actually needed it. Uh, very true. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so some of the people are like, well, you know, they, how are bad are they? They, they didn't actually go and waste a good mass. But, uh, in, in what about the, the family of five who's out of watermelon now? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, hopefully they at least ate the fruit before and they didn't just discard it in the garbage. Um, but the funny thing is at the very end, uh, they had to note that, uh, the watermelons don't actually meet CDC guidelines for face oh, coverings. Okay. <laughs> They had to include well, that, is eh? that true? I mean, <laughs> CDC has never made a comment about watermelon. Right? And, and I mean, if they didn't cut a mouth hole and it was just two eye holes, how much is actually getting out? I mean, they're probably blocking more than the mask is. I think it's probably pretty effective. Right? I think CDC says it's time for them to step up the game and start testing watermelon masks. 
I've been watching the right. news. I know that watermelons are great for you now. Yeah. Put them on your heads. Everyone can do it. It's great. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, Maddie. What else you got? Okay. Uh, this one's a little racier, but it's funny too and, and weird at the same time. Um, so a flip flip flop freak foiled. That is the uh, the name of the article. Try saying that uh, three times fast. It sounds like something um, right out of a '60s Batman. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, but seriously, try and say it. Yeah. No. all kinds of unusual things happen in thailand the latest is the arrest of a man with quite a flip-flop fetish Um, the man was finally nabbed after stealing more than a hundred pairs of the footwear from nearby homes so he was going into homes and stealing flip-flops the kicker he admitted to having sex with all of the (laughs) flip-flops oh my god So, uh, Pat Clea, 24, was arrested after numerous complaints about missing flip-flops in uh, Nanthaburi, Central Thailand. The alleged perpetrator was identified from video footage taken from his most recent alleged caper. Police found 126 pairs of stolen flip-flops at his rented home during his May 24, 24th arrest. Clea allegedly admitted to the... To, to the thefts, and he wore them around his home because it turned him on. He he said to, to the um, the news article. He also detailed further things he would do with the footwear before he actually had sex with them. Then he would be on another pair, um, though he kept the other ones around. So he just kept moving through these shoes like a train. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> police said the man had been previously arrested last year for stealing flip-flops in another district. Um, he fu- fully admitted to stealing the sandals for lewd purposes, so he'll be ta- detained at the station until a court appearance uh, for prosecutors to decide uh, what the next legal process is for them. Um, yeah, and that's all there was. Okay. That was because I have got so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> the I'm first... going to have to do a follow-up. <laughs> the first question I have about this is, why would you admit to having sex? Like, I, I don't think that was the question the police asked. There's no way that they looked at him and said, did you have sex with these shoes? Like, so, he, totally did he just come out right? Up. Did he just come right out and be like, "And I had sex with them"? <laughs> uh, did you steal and, the sir, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I sexed them. <laughs> so the the second question I have with that is, so I think it, you said there was 128 pairs of shoes. Yeah, 126. Did, 126 pairs. So. so <laughs> Does does that mean that was like two hundred and fifty three partners, or or do you, is that just considered a hundred and 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 twenty six menage a trois? That's that's a great question. Now you think now you're thinking like him, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we can't knock it until we try it. <laughs> uh, uh, oh boy. <laughs> Okay. Never thought about it that way, Tony. Right? You're a glass half full kind of guy. You know, it, it's all about mathematics, my friend. <laughs> yeah, so weird weird piece of news there, but uh, I, I definitely got a kick out of it. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Does that fall under, like, the, you know, the whole calculations thing where a man will say he slept with four times as many people, where a woman will say half as many? Does that yep. mean that was actually a false representation of shoes, or was there actually more that we just didn't know of, like, under the floorboards? Yeah. He he told he, he told the cops originally he had sex with four hundred pairs, but, uh... <laughs> yeah. but they whittled it down. <laughs> hey, 
He's proud of it. Yeah, let him boast. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know how your family looks you in the eye after that. But okay. <laughs> okay. So speaking of Racy, um, I had found an article. And this is uh, – this was – you know what? I, I was actually uh, – I, I was like, sure, why not? So the, the title on this one is that uh, apparently spite porn uh, is now taking off during the lockdown times. What is that? Right? That's exactly what I said. So I had to read this article. Um, apparently, the, 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 the article reads like this. Hate your ex? A porn star is offering a new way to make them feel bad for any real or perceived past slights. Uh, Allie Eve Knox, who bills herself as an adult content creator... Uh, specializing in fetishes, particularly financial domination, is busy these days selling custom-to-order videos that are a little bit different from what you'd expect. Uh, Knox is uh, getting all kinds of requests uh, for videos she has called spite porn. Uh, Knox first does a variety of sexual things to pique the interest of the viewer, uh, usually an ex-partner of someone who wants to get back at them, uh, before abruptly pulling a bait and switch and and basically berating the viewer. Uh, she said that uh, a woman just ordered a custom video for me to send to her ex-husband and have me shame him for all the shit he had done while they were together. Uh, she then basically said, like, this has brought uh, almost a new obsession uh, and uh, um, life to, to her or meaning to her life because she's able to hel- help a whole bunch of people. Uh, the, the, the woman basically gave Knox a, a greatest hits list of, of what this guy, uh, would basically like for him to potentially lure him in. Uh, his, she had said that his porn obsession, narcissism, and how he felt so self-absorbed, uh, stuff that you could kind of speak to most about most men, apparently, she told Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, I've, uh, bef- so basically when she calls them out, she'd be like, I've befriended your ex-wife. Uh, you are stupid and careless and selfish and, uh, we'll basically go on and on. Now, the funniest thing I thought about this whole article though, was that she considers herself, uh, a, a fetish, um, okay, let's say, let's say a, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? An adult content creator with fetishes, but particularly in financial dominations. Isn't that most women? <laughs> I, I mean, don't do, do you need to be a fetish person for that? <laughs> uh, I joke. I joke. Really, uh, you know what? Um, my wife will kill me for saying that. But um, <laughs> it's. But you know, like the first thing I thought was like. Ah, that's an actual fetish like what do you say like you only made 250 this week i made five it's like a super short catfish right you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah that's totally what it is they actually should call it catfish porn because basically that's what it is they're luring them in uh to to uh, think that it's gonna be something sexy and then to turn around and just call them an ass wouldn't that Um, be a great way to serve people papers when you're suing them oh wow yeah right (laughs) <laughs> Although, I mean, I think that would only work for a certain demographic, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right? But maybe, you know what, if this is the case of divorce papers, maybe maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe too much porn was involved. <laughs> yeah. There's always porn involved somewhere along the way. That's, eventually it is, yep. <laughs> yep. Anyways, so there you go. If, if uh, you know, you ever get a suggestion and or a me- an email from a porn star saying that she wanted to chat, no, don't answer it. Don't know. 
don't go, don't get involved. I'm warning you now. What happened to Candygrams, man? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, when we've got uh, strippers delivering meals on heels, uh, I, I feel like maybe uh, Candygrams <laughs> are just too uh, uh, too pure. <laughs> <laughs> boober eats. Yep, good old boober eats. <laughs> uh, so right on. So, Neil, thanks for joining us again. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we're actually, one of the first things we want to talk about, uh, of course, is your, um, I, I want to say newest novel, um, but uh, I guess it's technically your second newest novel? With the, Are we talking about the Bomb Squad? That's right. <laughs> so Yes, I know, I know the order of my books. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so, so much for bomb... like our listeners, right? I, I want to say your newest novel, but technically speaking, your newest one's coming out in a couple months, so... Yeah, well, yeah. you know, the, the bomb squad just came out in March. Yes. So I'm uh, sort of like um, I'm ringing uh, or making bookends with my two books for the COVID. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when my first book, when the, the beginning, when we first shut down, the bomb squad came out, like literally as we were shutting down in New York. And now as we're about to come out in the next couple of weeks, Hope City is now being released. So it, trust me, this was not done intentionally. Um <laughs> had nothing to do with any of that going on, but that's just how it seemed to, uh, to work for me. Um, so I guess there is some meaning to that. I don't know. Um, time will tell. For sure. I mean, it's amazing that you already, um, for, for 2020, have two novels out. I mean, a lot of people, you've got years between books. And, and I'd love to say, hey, where are you finding the time? But uh, I think with COVID, everybody's got a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, well, these two came close. Um, back to back because I had a delay with my editor uh, and so the Bond Squad sat for a while before okay. she got to it so that was one of the reasons why we had you know, these two I don't usually release books two books within uh, three months of each other or two or three months so I was going to say you're setting the bar pretty out. high man <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding it's like I'm writing faster yeah, the um, well, because I had wondered because I mean I d I don't think I know anybody who would work on more than one book at a time. So I'm thinking you've got to either be the best multitasker ever, uh, or there had to be something happening behind the scenes. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no magic secret sauce. That's for sure. It's just me <laughs> typing away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I don't write two books at the same time, but I will uh, revise one or or through my editor uh, while I'm writing a new one. So that happened, but I'm basically done with the with the manuscript uh, completely before I start another one. This is I couldn't imagine writing two books at the same time. Um, I I wouldn't know how people would even do that. I mean, with uh, I mean, you'd have to basically stop sleeping and uh, and then uh, potentially have uh, two computers on the go and and four sets of hands. I don't know. That's that's crazy. Well, if you if you just remove the time part of it, just so say you said. Okay, I'm going to give myself a year. I want to write two books, and I want to write them at the same time. You know, it's that you have to have that. You know, so you sit down, you're writing book A, and then you know, then, then tomorrow maybe I'll write book B. Um, you know, so you have to have these two minds going on continuously. But you know, we do watch multiple TV shows, um, so we, you know, we are though that is a passive thing. It's not, it's not a creative uh, outlet, but you know, we are able to do mo- more than one thing at a time. That. So now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I'll try that. You know, that would be amazing. Day, fun. Two books at the same time. If you do it, yeah, you have to make sure it. you you document it and and video maybe and just we could like time lapse it or something. It'd be amazing. 
yeah, you'll see me like on the floor in a fetal position, sucking my thumb. Um, <laughs> like, what have I done to myself? <laughs> that's, uh, you must be quite creative to be able to pull that off because, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. It'll be a task. It'll be a task. Yeah. You know, Cause you, you get really involved <laughs> in your story as you're writing it. Um, you know, I write organically, so I don't have an outline. Mm-hmm. So I'll have an idea of where I want to go. I have an idea where I'm starting. Well, my, I have a better idea of where I'm starting rather than where I want to go, but I still have an idea sort of where I want to go. I don't know how I get there. I have no clue. Um, so as I write my stories, they take me where they're supposed to take me, I suppose. And I, then I get to uh, to conclude them. So, yeah, it, it, it surprises me of how this story ends up because I, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I had no inkling of something was going to happen until it happened in my story. You know, there's the old, there's a saying, the story writes itself. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced that. I got to tell you, I've experienced like all of a sudden I'm writing and I, and I go off into something I was not expecting to go off on. And um, I'm like, wow, how did, how did I get here? Um, <laughs> but that's, that's what I enjoy about that organic creative process. That happens to me too after a really long night of drinking. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what, you know, Hemingway said, write drunk and revive sober. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I love it. There, there's, there's, it helps uh, sometimes to, to get the creative juices flowing. I feel like in that you know, creative really process. really interesting there, I think, um, going back and if you're writing uh, in parallel, seeing the similarities uh, of your writing styles in each story while you're kind of in that headspace, well, if you're doing two at the same time, you know what I mean? Well, I do have a style now. I mean, I developed a style um, that as as my writing, as my stories have developed, uh, it became a story. My style has also become a style from writing these books. So typically in terms of the mechanics of my book, I, I write with short chapters. Uh, an average chapter may be three or four pages long. And I also write in a very clear, concise way. Um, so I get a lot of comments from people saying, I love your chapters because they're short, which I, when I wrote my first book, I, that's how I wrote it. I went from scene to scene quickly, changing points of view, like you might see when you're watching a TV show or a series today. You know, they, they chop from scene to scene, quick scenes. I might take two, three minutes, and then uh, you go into another scene where another character is interacting in another couple of minutes. So I thought that's how I write. And people like that because that's how people engage with stories now. You know, they, they don't mm-hmm. want to see 20, 30 page chapters. They want to go, let's go three pages, four pages. Good. I could, I could digest that before I go to sleep tonight. But read three, four pages. Let me go read another chapter, go another three or four pages. So yeah, it's a great you know, way to blast. Through it makes it, it makes it manageable for people who, you know, are not avid readers, but want yeah. to start reading and getting into it. So it's, uh, you know, it's like, um, come on back, come on back. You can read a book again, um, and I have something maybe you might be interested in reading. I, I think I'll entertain you. That's a great approach. Yeah, it's a uh, we're we're kind of in a in a reduced attention span world these days because uh, we're so busy, um, and uh, you know everything's switching to short snippets. You know, the average YouTube video is a lot shorter than it was you know even five years ago, and um, a lot of companies are switching to micro learning, which is kind of what you're describing a little bit. There is just those those quick snippets of information uh, that are easy to digest, and uh, people do seem to respond to that a lot better. So it sounds like you're you're right along with the, the 2020 style. I love it. Spoken as a true yeah, millennial, well, you know. <laughs> and you know, I, I I 
and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, um, you know, many times you'll watch, you watch a show or whatever it is and you get the, you get the gist of what they're trying to communicate in a scene. But it, it, but it continues. I mean, it, you could stop it at a certain point. Um, or even series anyway that go on too long. Um, you know, after a while, the story has been told. You can't keep telling the story anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have two or three seasons of a good show. And then after that, it's like you lose your dad to lose viewership because people don't care about the story anymore because there's no story left to tell. You know, stories like, you know, they play themselves out. It's it's so funny that you you mentioned that because um, my my son and I were having this conversation at the table the other night and and uh, he was like uh, so I don't know if you watch or heard the sh- heard of the show The Flash it's about the Flash the superhero and um, every every uh, intro to every new episode I think it's in like its fifth or sixth season and um, my son goes I'm Barry Allen and I'm the fastest man alive, except for in this episode where there's someone faster. And, and basically that <laughs> happens every episode for six seasons. Yeah. So it's true. It's uh, it, you're absolutely bang on when you, when you say sometimes it's yeah, best but just there's to a lot of success in that too. And having the same story told over and over again. Think of, yes. think of James Bond. James Bond is the same story every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, think of Sherlock Holmes same story every single time so there's a lot of those stories you know we like we like stories that do what they're supposed to do you know there's a comfort in indiana jones stories yeah yeah yeah, right so you know there's also the idea that when i write i want to have some things that the reader is going to say yeah i i knew that i I knew that's going to happen right so Mm -hmm. there's that comfort in saying okay yeah i'm I'm in here i'm with you in the story but then at the same time, I want to have twists and turns where the reader goes, well, I wasn't expecting that. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's you know, trying to work with the reader and bring them along. You know, you, when someone sits down and read a book, it's not a, a one hour affair. It's not like watching a, a show or going to a concert or going to a museum. You know, I'm trying to hold your attention for weeks yeah. And for many hours at a time. So how do I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you really have to understand the process of what a novel means and 80,000 words, 300 pages. And how am I going to get you from you know, page one to page 300? You know, without putting a book down and say, oh, this sucks. 100%. When, when you had mentioned about, um, you know, the, the fact that your, your novel is writing itself and you're surprised by uh, the outcomes on some of them. Uh, I mean, is it one of those things that all of a sudden you're writing, you've got a great character and then you're just like, ah, this guy's shit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill him now. Or, or you're just like, Oh my God, he died. How, how the hell did that happen? How did I just, you wake up one yeah, day and well, you wrote him out. <laughs> I did. I did that in the first book. One of my characters, I, um, died. I'm not going to say who it is because it's a big spoiler, but, um, and people who've read my book came to me going, why did you kill him? I loved him. <laughs> How could you do that? I I'm like, out. oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to respond to that. It's not a real person, you know. This is fiction. Yep. You know, but they got so engaged with that person that they were upset that I that I had them uh, taken out. <laughs> which which so, yeah, you're people do, do like, get killed. You're gonna have to do a time travel segment in the in the sequel now. <laughs> well, you know, you could do this. You could do that. That's for sure. You know, I create my own world. So, you know, I could do whatever I want. You know, you're doing it right when people are saying that, though. It means they've they've gotten so engaged with that character. Or they they've they kind of feel right. for that character that uh, when they're upset, uh, you know, you're you're writing a, a damn good novel. 
that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I knew they that's were, awesome. I knew they were engaged. They were, they were, they were definitely uh, into the book and, and, you know, they said, I loved everything, but, <laughs> but there's this one thing I have a, I have a bone to pick with you. And I'm like, okay. And you can never underestimate a good villain either. Somebody that you, people want you to kill. You know what I mean? And it finally happens. Right. But you know, the villain has to have a touch of humanity. You have to have some empathy with the killer. You know, you have to have some way, you can't have like, you know, the, the, the Chorley Q uh, mustache villain anymore or <laughs> Dr. Evil who just wants to kill things just for the sake of, you know, blowing things up. You know, you have to have villains who have a touch of humanity. So, you know, that mm-hmm. creates much more interesting villains. And the same thing with the hero. The hero can't be, you know, you know, the greatest thing, uh, you know, Superman. He also has to have fallibilities. Uh, he has to have be insecure, perhaps, or have, you know, some sort of things he's a, he's afraid of, or you know, he can't be perfect. So that's the idea too: is to humanize your characters. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because um, recently, a lot of um, the the shows that I've seen, when you know, you start seeing some villains and uh, or the the bad guy in this scenario, but uh, because they have empathy, because they have that humanity, you start thinking like, this actually, this isn't a bad guy or like, like this is I actually kind of like this person or you find a way of associating with that person um, to the point where you the, the lines become blurred and, and then that you're like, well, yeah, he's yeah, he's killed someone, but he's not a horrible person. And then when you when that character does get killed off or when they get arrested or whenever that 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 outcome is um you're torn and i and i i think i think that that's kind of like it's the new thing right i mean because now maybe there's that flip-flop between the villain isn't necessarily the bad guy and and the good guy isn't always so good um well that is exactly sort of the premise of bomb squad Ah. so bomb squad is a historical fiction novel takes place uh uh, in New York City, and and right at the beginning, uh, right before the America gets involved in, in World War One, so it's I call it the clash clash of the patriots. There's two men, two German American men who have immigrated to this country. One is Dr. Harold Schwartz. He's the uh, administrator of uh, Ellis Island Immigrant Hospital, the most prestigious hospital in the whole country, and uh, he runs it. That's what all the immigrants come through the the steerage. The, the third class passengers come through Ellis Island when they millions of them are coming in in early 1900s, millions and millions, three, four million, three or four million people a year yep. were going through that hospital. So he was the administrator. He's also a German spy. And he was the one behind uh, all these bombings that were going on um, right before we got involved in the war because Germany was trying to keep us out of the war by causing distractions um, in our land. So they were blowing things up right and left. Uh, Dr. Schwartz and his father, who was a, a lifelong friend of Kaiser Wilhelm, the Kaiser of, of Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they, they were trying to do these crazy things here. And they, they, the book begins with uh, a big explosion on Black Tom Island, which was an island right behind the Statue of Liberty, an armaments depot. And they blew the thing up. And it was a tremendous explosion. Blew out windows throughout Manhattan, down the Jersey Shore, caused extensive damage to the Statue of Liberty. Uh, and that was the, how the book begins with this explosion. And my other German-American, a New York City police detective, is put on the case to try to figure out what is going on with, the, you know, all of a sudden, we're, you know, 
there's there's explosions happening, there's espionage going on in New York City. Uh, this is before we had CIA. Um, so okay. the only intelligence service that was of any value was the British Secret Intelligence Service mm-hmm. uh, called the SIS. So they came to New York City and they recruited my New York City police detective, Max Rothman, the German-American, who's American patriot, to put together the bomb squad. And the bomb squad is made up of five German-speaking American patriots uh, who are going to try to figure out uh, what's going on with, with uh, all these explosions um, happening in, um, in the New York metropolitan area. So we have two men, two German-Americans, one Max Rothman, one Dr. Harold Schwartz on two sides, right? So, you know, we would look at Max Rothman looks at Dr. Harold Schwartz as the enemy. You know, he's the evil one. Right. But Dr. Howard mm-hmm. Schwartz thinks he's the patriot. I'm pa- I'm loyal to the fatherland, you know, and you're the evil one. So, yeah. yeah so we have two characters. But, you know, in, in each one's point of view, they're doing what they think is the right thing to do. They think they're on the right side of history. Of course, only one really ends up to be on the right side of history. And so it's a battle between these two patriots, clash of the patriots, that I call it. And that's the synopsis of the bomb squad. Fantastic. Very cool. Very cool. Now, how, how, Neil, how long have you been writing? Well, I've been writing, I'm sorry, I've been writing a long time, but I haven't been writing fiction until I started in 2017. Uh, before that, I was writing business um, articles uh, for magazines, and I wrote two business books. Um, but this was my first venture into fiction writing. Uh, Cobb's Tale was my first one. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Wow. Have you um have you ever been approached uh, or have you ever hoped uh, to be approached for a uh, kind of a made to movie deal, especially in something yes, like I'm the bomb? For that. Yeah, especially in something with the bomb squad because it sounds you put sounds it out there, put it out in the universe. Yeah. Yep. Let everybody know. It's out I'm, there now. I'm, I'm looking. For... <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. Well, we you know yeah. we've got uh, we've got a lot of producers and directors that have been on the show and hopefully still listening. So uh, if you're listening, hey, I'm hooked listening. just from the synopsis. I think that sounds great. Yep. Uh, I did. I did look it up. Uh, also, uh, I, I should mention for our listeners out there, because, uh, you know, you can't always get out to a bookstore, especially nowadays, uh, even if it's a curbside pickup. Uh, you can pick this book up on uh, on Amazon. I think it was only four ninety nine for or is it Kindle for four ninety nine. Uh, so it's a no three ninety nine three ninety nine. It's a bargain. Three ninety nine. Where for three dollars and ninety nine cents can you get a book? Right. I mean, you can get a lot of books for three ninety nine, but. I should say, where for three ninety nine could you get all the effort that I spent writing that book and producing that book, and for, for less that for like a cup of Starbucks coffee, yeah. you can get a uh, an eighty thousand word book that I spent uh, six months of my life on writing, and I think I think a lot of people like it. So um, it's, you know, a steal. it's not a, it's not a big investment, but the it investment is, yeah. is, on, is in your time. That's the investment. That's yeah. where I really like people to try to make is that investment of sitting down and reading the book because that obviously that takes some time so yeah that's where the real investment comes in and i love the way you put that it is literally a cup of starbucks coffee that's all it is here you can now have hours of entertainment um in the palm of your hand for the cup of stuff as opposed to the half an hour that might take you to drink a cup of coffee that's, yeah, <laughs> I mean that's a steal. I mean, going to the movies is uh, what fifteen bucks a ticket for an hour. Yeah, come on. Yeah, and let's be honest, the books are always better than the movie anyway. So if this does turn into a movie deal, you definitely want to make sure you read the book first. <laughs> yes, right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Now, sure. question for you: When you're creating historical fiction, 
Um, do you often do a lot of research um, just so that you're kind of accurate with with the historical pieces to paint a more familiar picture with your readers? Yeah, once I pick um, an era that I'm going to write in, I'll do research about that time period. Um, right now, I'm writing a book about Nome, Alaska in 1900, the gold rush in 1900. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm reading about what happened up there. Uh, it was the gold was discovered by uh, these three lucky Swedes uh, that uh, found gold. Um, I mean, an amazing amount of gold um, and off Anvil Creek, which is a little inland off the shore. Uh, and they were they, they became multimillionaires, the three of them. Um, and, but what really happened is that Dan on the luck, on his luck miner, uh, found gold on the beach in the sand in Nome. And it was like, he was pulling gold out of the sand. It was like, this wasn't plaster mining and blasting and trying to go, you know, and break, breaking your back type of labor, trying to, um, you know, find gold out in the rivers or the creeks. This guy just found it in the sand before you know Amazing. it, 30,000 people are in Nome, Alaska, where there was nobody before. There was literally nobody there. Next thing you know, 30,000 people living there. You got 200 saloons. You got um, Wyatt Earp coming up, running one of those saloons um, during the summer, the summer of 1900. Uh, you have uh, a, a, a book that was written about it called The Spoilers by Ray Beach about um, claim jumping. So what was going on back then in 1900 is was know these three lucky Swedes found this um, gold but uh, these smart ass uh, Washingtonians from Washington DC you know senators and whatnot uh, say hey they're not US citizens they have no right to that gold so they went up and sent someone up there and they were doing cold claim jumping which is basically taking those claims away from them uh, with government backing um, so mm. that's part of also part of the story that was going on back then. So yeah, so I'm doing all that research now, and it's going to be a um, um, a sequel to um, Hope City. So Hope City is in 1898 in um, in, in Alaska, mm-hmm. but in the, in the town of Hope, and uh, Nome takes takes place two years later. It's amazing what Very you can cool. find on a beach. I lost my my watch and a lot of pocket change, so I can imagine the person who found the gold was probably uh, <laughs> quite excited. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I did want to ask you because a lot of your your obviously your your novels are historical pieces. Is it because you find a uh, a sense of romanticism with those time periods uh, that makes it more appealing to you and your readers, or um, like what what is what is that? that feeling why do, why do you prefer to go towards that genre so historical fiction mm-hmm. um i like well first i like reading historical fiction so in terms of um, the books that i read i really enjoy that because it gives me a sense of learning something about history at the same time while i'm being entertained mm-hmm. so i like that you know that that, that dual effect it sort of makes me feel like Oh, I'm so productive. I just learned all about World War One by reading a Kent Follett novel, and it was so entertaining, and I could talk about it with other people who read the book. So to me, that's that's fun to do. So I also like writing about it. Um, what's fun to write about it is also the same thing as to read about it. You learn about um, what happened during that period of time. You learn about, uh, so I'm writing about World War One. I, I, I learned about all these, these bombings that were going on in New York uh, from Bomb Squad. I'm learning about what it was like to 
mine for gold in Alaska in 1898, learning about what it was like to be an immigrant coming from Europe uh, in 1910. I learned about what it was like to be an indigenous person in the 1670s in my book, Moonflower. Um, so, you know, I was studying all those things and giving myself an education and then trying to put it into a story. So that's why I like historical fiction. Um, I and that. I pretty much have stuck with it so far. Yeah, it, it's actually one of the reasons why I think I liked uh, Tom Clancy novels was originally when I was younger, because uh, you end up learning so much about the military and... and um, weapons and, and things that were behind the, the scenes of the military. So I, I think that's probably one of the reasons. So I, I could see that for when you're saying about learning about uh, history, it, it's true. I mean, when you're thinking about when you were a student and you sat in history class, it was probably one of the most painful subjects to listen to. But if you can get into a good novel and a great subject and still turn around and learn something, provided that the source material is genuine, um, it not only becomes a, a great piece of entertainment, but a, a great uh, subject matter for, for conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's all about you know, if, if you go into a class and you, go, and you, have, you want to learn a subject, you know, it's all about the ability of the, uh, the professor or the teacher to keep you engaged. 100%. You know, how good a storyteller are they? Mm -hmm. um, those are the ones that you remember. Yes. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because um, it's such a huge genre and people don't even realize it. And, and by that, I mean, like, any kid who's played a Call of Duty game, that's historical fiction. And, but you'd never be like, oh, hey, you know, you, like you say the word historical fiction and, and a kid wouldn't, most kids wouldn't even relate, but that's actually what they're very, you know, wired into. Yes. Um, you know, do you know what I'm getting at? Like. Neil, Neil may not know what yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> Call of Duty is. I don't know if he's ever played. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, I don't play those. No. Yeah, no, I know these games that, that try to uh, put you in historical setting. Um, and that's all, that's basically the same thing I'm trying to do with historical fiction, mm -hmm. putting you yeah. back into time. It's like a time travel type of experience. And what's interesting about historical fiction is that you're, you're focusing on other people's, the little people's stories, the people that, you know, not the, not the famous people, though sometimes I might touch on a famous person here or there. But overall, these are people who have actually, of course, never existed, but they live their lives through these moments. Um, and so that's what you try to represent in that way. Mm -hmm. that, um, too, too, you know, it helps people feel like they're in that back in that time. Mm -hmm. Do you but, ever work in like an Easter egg or like a brush with somebody who's really well known from true, you know, science fiction, his, historical science fiction? Um, do you ever do that where there's kind of a brush with one of your... Uh, fictional characters. Can, can you repeat that? Um, do you ever do you ever like uh, have one of your fictional characters, uh, you know, have a run in or a brush with somebody f who is actually from you know histor a historical famous person, um, just to yeah. walk them into the story a little bit? Yes, I well in my new book uh, that I'm writing now, Why Earth Does Make an Appearance in. In um, Bomb Squad, J.P. Morgan has a, has a couple of scenes <laughs> in the book. Um, so those two, I have some famous right, uh, characters. I have some characters that are not famous, but they were well-known at their time. Um, maybe not be to remember today, but uh, even in Moonflower, 
It was a character that I used that uh, in New York lore, he's famous. So he was around during the 1670s. So I, did, I used his used him in my stories. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to I'll draw people in. I'm tempted with um, the story about Gnome uh, to bring some more famous characters in because they did come up um, like Jack London. Uh, they come up to uh, to Gnome, but I did include Jack London uh, in a couple of scenes uh, in Hope City. Um, he's at the beginning of the book. He's the, my one of my my main, my main characters graduating from high school from Mission High School in San Francisco, and at the graduation, who's doing the uh, coming to speak uh, to do the commencement address is Jack London, and speaks to the students, and he talks about the glory of adventure. And how you can't waste your life. And, you know, what are you going to do with yourself? Are you going to walk out these doors and you're going to have a life to remember or one to forget? So he gets my character and his friend very excited. And they decide to go to Alaska in 1898 for the gold rush. Hmm. And off they go. Uh, and this, so they leave San Francisco and off they go to uh, to this place called Hope. Actually, it wasn't even called Hope when they, were, when they went there. They had no name. Um, and the way my story tells it is that um, this, my main character's name is Samuel Rothman. As I said, he's 17 years old, just graduated high school. He wants to go with his friend Liam to Alaska for the gold rush. You know, they're excited to go on an adventure. They just graduated high school and they want to go off and do something for the next couple of months. So they talk their parents into letting them go. And right before they're about to get on the steamship, that's heading up from San Francisco to the Cook Inlet where they would drop off the boys uh, and then take them and little schooners would take them off to the, the destination from there. The father says, you know, you're a Jewish boy and the, and the name Samuel Rothman, you know, maybe you want to not use that name when you go up into these, you know, these, these rough men up in, uh, in Alaska and they may not be too kindly to Jews. So maybe you want to change your name. So they come up with this name of Percy Hope after they have a little bit of a conversation. So he's going to go under this alias as Percy Hope, gets on the boat with his friend, who now his friend has to call him Percy instead of calling him Sam. We have a little back and forth about that. Um, so they, they sail for the next six days up to Alaska. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, in this little this area, this mining area, there's two towns. One town is called Sunrise, and that's a more established mining town. Already has a name, um, has a saloon. Uh, there's whiskey and wine and, and gambling and women and, you know, all those types of things going on. And then there's this other town, which is a dry town and has the, has the church. Um, and the, my, my character, my evil character, Magnus Vega, who owns the Gold Digger Saloon, is trying to infiltrate into this other town and, and bring and try to, you know, mine the miners, as he likes to say, um, <laughs> by offering them, you know, all some of the deadly sins that uh, <laughs> men like to partake in. So they're standing on the shoe. It doesn't sound like it's hard to infiltrate that town. It sounds like it sucks. <laughs> Are they giving them 126 <laughs> pairs of flip-flops? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no flip-flops in Alaska. <laughs> you never see anyone in flip-flops in Alaska. And I've been there many times. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 126 pairs of mittens. <laughs> um, there, there you go. So, so I'm about to get to the uh, the the, uh, the main point of my story here, where it really will set set things off and give you an idea what the book's about. So, uh, so my so Percy uh, 
is sailing up with Liam on the ship. And meanwhile, uh, Magnus Vega, my, my evil character, is standing on the shore talking to his cohort and says, you know, it's about time we gave this little village, this little mining village a name. We have Sunrise, but we have no name for here. Because you know what we're going to do? The next person that steps on this land, coming from that, that boat right now, whatever their name is, we're going to name the town after that person. So, of course, who would it be? It's mm-hmm. Percy Hope, and they named the town Hope, Alaska. And this is actually the legend of how Hope was named. Hope is still a, a, a mining town, though they don't do any mining there any longer, but still exists. Uh, Sunrise has been abandoned, um, so, but Hope City is still there. And cool. this is the story of Percy Hope, how Hope got its name, and how this boy Percy, also, also known as Samuel Rothman, uh, sort of goes down the rabbit hole and has all these amazing, crazy adventures going on there um, with the people of Hope and the people of Sunrise. And that just gives a little taste of what Hope City is about. That sounds very exciting. Um, one, one of the things I just wanted to mention before we go into the next section of our show is, uh, you know, you were talking about with the bomb squad in back in New York, and uh, I believe it was Black Tom Island. Now, I'm not 100% sure. I was in um, New York last year, and uh, I, we were doing the the whole water taxi that takes you past uh, the the uh, Statue of Liberty. And uh, one of the islands that's just in behind the Statue of Liberty, of course, is uh, an old retired military base. Uh, so I'm very curious if that is what was maybe once called Black Tom Island uh, and if it actually still exists. Um, it's very, yeah, very close to that. Okay. Not there anymore, but it's very, very close. It's, it would have been right, right next to that. I was going to say, because you would said that basically there was a massive explosion. So I'm like, how much of this island was left and, and was there any left? But if not, there was another yeah, military. It was destroyed. I mean, you see pictures of it. Um, you can see pictures of that. It was it was totally destroyed because you're blowing up. I mean, it was, you know tons of armaments and weapons yeah. that they were getting ready to ship to Russia. Wow. So it was, you know, talk about a, a big explosion. Um, it rocked. It rocked the New York, New York metropolitan area. It was, it was a major deal well, when, that, when that explosion went off. I mean, just from that point alone, just from the fact that I have now been in that area myself, uh, makes me want to be able to pick up this uh, novel and read it. And uh, like I said, it's at, at three ninety nine. It, it's a steal. So, uh, you know, you're going to definitely get another sale right there just because it's something I'm I'm now interested in being like, hey, I was just there. Um, here's another little piece of history. So. Excellent. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, let's jump into uh, the next section of our show where we've got our rapid fire questions with Maddie G. <laughs> And uh, for listeners who are uh, just tuning in for the first time, uh, what this section is, is Matty G will ask Neil 20 quick questions, and he just has to give us the first thing that comes to his mind. Are you going to ask me these 20 questions? We are indeed. Yep. <laughs> We're going to dig All right, deep let me buckle you, my seatbelt. Yep. <laughs> All right, I'm, They're not I'm always ready. quick, but my... we try to be them as quick as possible. If you, if you don't I'm have the answer, just pass. All right, Maddie. All right. Question one. What made-up word would you register into the English language? I'm going to say for blungent. For blungent. Okay. For for blungent. All right. (laughs) I like it. And what does it mean? Crazy. Yeah. Love it. Cool. That's for blungent. Yeah. Well, question two. What is the scariest dream that you can remember? Oh, God. When I... When I was a teenager, The Exorcist came out, and that just destroyed me. And I had nightmares about that stupid movie for months after it. So yeah, it was it was it was 
assuming about the devil. That was yep. I'll I'll agree with you on that one. Um, question three: What superpower do you wish you had? Hmm. Oh, God, so many of them. <laughs> if I had to just choose one superpower, just one. Mm. Wow. You know, I never actually thought of that question. You know, I always told my son, my youngest son, his superpower was his personality because he was just able to connect with people amazingly and that was always and he does to this day from the time he was born to 25 years old he has that immediacy with people so i mean i think that i'd say that because i'm jealous of him because he has that he has that way of connecting with people in such a, an authentic way so uh-huh. uh, i i would say something along, along those lines yeah to have that type of that's a great answer that's a great power to this podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what is your earliest childhood memory yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember standing with my brother. I must have been four, I think, or maybe even three, and standing. Maybe I was even younger. Maybe I was even two, because yeah, my brother was just an infant. So I remember whatever it was. I don't remember exactly how old it was. I remember complaining to my mother, "Do I have to still wear diapers?" Um, and she said, "Yes, you do." So stop asking me <laughs> that stupid question. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Um, what, uh, what makes you the happiest? Mm, being with my family, seeing my boys do well, I have two sons, you know, having their, seeing, seeing their happiness, uh, it always makes me the happiest. I think, um, so that, that to me is, gives me the most joy. I think um, there's, nothing, there's nothing more though. I do get a lot of joy from my writing and also yeah. get a lot of joy from people coming back to me and, and telling me that they enjoy what I wrote. So that too gives me, that gives me lots of joy. And also, you know, having the love of my woman. I mean, that's, you know, especially in these times, you know, having that is also, you know, really enheartening as well. Yep, definitely. All all amazing things. That's a great answer. Um, What foreign language would you most like to learn? I have to learn Russian. Well, my significant other, she's Russian. So she, so that would be the language. I think I would have learned by now. We've been together nearly 20 years. You know, I have like, 10 words I know. So, um, yeah, if I could like just turn a switch on and, and, and surprise the, the living daylight out of her and just start talking Russian. <laughs> just, just learn to speak that, English angrier and you're already halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, it, you know what, it'd be great for like, uh, you know, research for another novel. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'd just take a pill. It'll, it'll be really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, what decade would you most like to live in? Well, you know, it's like that Woody Allen movie, uh, Midnight in Paris, when he they go back. He, you know, he's like he's a writer, and um, he goes back to the. Um, I guess he's going back to the twenties, and he's meeting Hemingway, and he's meeting Picasso, and he's meeting Dali, and he's meeting all the famous artists and writers, and mm-hmm. how wonderful it is. And then he meets this other woman who wants to go back to the eighteen eighties. Uh, the time the Toulouse Lautrec, and she says, "No, no." He goes, "This is the time to be here." And she says, "No, the time is before this in the 1880s." So everyone thinks that the time there's a more of a golden age uh, yep. in years past rather than the world we're living today. So that was sort of the theme of the movie. So I, that always sticks to me when you think of you know, the times that you're living in. I, I listen. I, I really find the times that we're living in today fascinating. I mean. Even though we're, we're experiencing experiencing a, uh, a pandemic, um, 
you know, what I've learned during this time is that, you know, when you're going out like to the grocery store, all, you know, everyone's wearing a mask and all you're seeing are people's eyes. And it's interesting on in how much you can pick up on people's feelings by just really focusing on their eyes, which is something we mm-hmm. never pay attention before. So, you know, I'm imagining what it's like, what I know what it's like now because I feel it and I'm part of it and I'm a human and I'm experiencing this, what everyone else is feeling. Uh, and let's put ourselves back in 1918 to the time of the Spanish flu pandemic. And we were doing the same thing. We were having the same fears, the same anxieties, the same behaviors uh, that they were experiencing, though, of course, they didn't have the same medicines we had. But everything else was pretty much the same. Um, and there was all this outrage about wearing masks, which was going on right now. The same exact thing. Was <laughs> we didn't learn anything. Two years ago. <laughs> It was the same behavior to the T. So, um, yeah, so I guess in a long about way, this is rapid fire questions, but sort of slow answers. Hey, <laughs> so no, that we're happy with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, so I guess that I'll, I'll pick the age we're in uh, if I had a uh, my choice. And I just, I guess I really don't accept to choose the age that I'm in. 100%. Oh, that's you know, cool. That's as cool. you, as you said, you know, you know, uh, looking at the eyes, eyes are the windows of the soul, right? So it's uh, it's interesting how you pick up certain. And things. never more so than now. Yes. Never more so than now. Yeah. I mean, you can see people's souls now. They are expressing their, you know, their their most vulnerable parts of them. Yeah. Um, my wife said I'm not allowed to do that near windows. Um, <laughs> what? Do you have a uh, go-to joke or a favorite joke? Oh God, no. Okay, no. that's fine. And, and then, then I'm supposed to tell you my joke? Are you, are you <laughs> well, <crazy>? I mean, <laughs> I wasn't setting you You're up. You're setting me up. <laughs> yeah, he sees right through you. Uh, damn it. Yeah, yep. I, I, know, uh, I know you're, I, I, got you, I got your number. Yep. You know my tricks. Uh, I got it. <laughs> uh, what was the first movie that ever made you cry? I would imagine if you asked my mother that question, she would say Bambi. Mm-hmm. Um, because every yeah. child cries when Bam, you know, when Bambi's mothers get shot. Yeah, um, yep. that's popular. Yep. Uh, so I would have to probably say that would be the first one. Not though I don't remember watching it for the first time. Um, you know, I think like the real first movie I remember crying was Brian's Song, and I was a teenager when that came out. You know, mm-hmm. that was. Uh, do you guys remember that movie? Um, it was about Gail Sayers and and the and the running back. Um, it was Brian, his name was, but he died of a disease. And Gail Sayers, they were best friends. They were running back for the Chicago Bears. And it was such a touch. It was a very touching scene. I think every, I mean, it made every uh, teenage boy cry in America when that came out. It was, it was such a yep. touching movie. So that, I know exactly that's something I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I remember. Um, I don't remember Bambi. So I probably would cry today if I watched it. For sure. <laughs> yep. Um, Poor Bambi. Do you, do you believe in aliens? Yes, of course. Don't live in everybody? Hey, we haven't had a no yet, so that's yep. good. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. Isn't everybody? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I don't know. I think I think Robert Wall had said no. Oh, did he? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yep. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um yeah, well. Neil, if you had a hundred million dollars right now, how would you spend it? Oh my god, I wouldn't spend it. Actually, would not spend it. I would, I would, I would find ways of giving it away to worthy groups. Um, keep a little chump for myself, just so I don't have to go. You know, uh, I can just do what I want for the rest of my life. But uh, I don't need much. Everything else, I give away. 
That's wonderful. Cool. Yeah. So As I like to say, uh, the, uh, remember your old friends at the Freaking Awesome Podcast. So uh, you know, operation <laughs> yeah, costs yeah, uh, are always out of pocket. Uh, you're definitely you're, you're be on the list because <laughs> you're the guys that are going to make this happen. That's great. <laughs> uh, just put us in your movie when your one of your books gets made into one. I mean, yep. That'd be fun. Yeah. You'll be extras in the background. We're versatile. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, I want to be the guy that head explodes, but okay. No, yeah, go ahead. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> What, uh, if, if it were perfectly legal, what exotic animal would you domesticate? Oh, God. You know, I just watched that stupid show, Tiger King. Tiger King, yeah. Now you want a tiger. After you watch that, there's no animal I ever want to domesticate. In fact, I, I would rather <laughs> take every animal and let them be free. You know, my, my younger it's boy, he, is, he is, lives on the farm. He's into rewilding, which is like rebooting yourself back into nature. He he's studied primitive skills. He's into plant medicine. He's into foraging. You know, so you know the word civilization is a dirty word to him. If you want him to weed your garden, he goes, "I will not have blood in my hands." You know, so <laughs> this is awesome. You know, this is awesome. <laughs> your your son is Max, correct? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I actually, I'm, I'm looking. Met, I'm looking forward to reaching out to Max and actually having him on the show. I, I think it'd be quite a, a very uh, an interesting uh, cross reference with things. So <laughs> it'd yeah, be really he, good. Yeah. He, yeah. He's he's he's, a, he's an interesting character. He's so, the yeah. guy to know so, when zombie apocalypse happens. Though. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. You know, when when zombie apocalypse happens, and you know, every human has no skill except uh, how to go shopping in a grocery store and have to fend for themselves. There's going to be a few people on this earth who know what to do, and, and my son will be one of them. My God, so, I hope yeah. he's a good runner. <laughs> he, he needs to survive. <laughs> <Yeah>. yep. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, question 13. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? is a, a lack of education. You know, it's people who don't want to learn. People don't want to improve. Ignorance. People just yeah. want to ve- vegetate. Ignorance. Yeah. Um, it's just laziness. That is my biggest pet peeve. Um, you know, so many, so many things in the world can be better if people were educated. I mean, you know, all these problems we have in the world, mostly is because people are not educated. So I think, you know, education is the key. Very true. Um, you know, and an objective education, not a politically uh, uh, skewed education. Yes. Uh, but a, but objective education. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I like that. Absolutely. Um, what's the last thing that you did just for yourself? Well, I went food shopping. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Today, I did that for Perfect. myself. It's yeah, amazing how much of that, that is involved with food. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's just for me. Um, there's a, lot, I, I, there's a lot of things I do for myself. I mean, most things I do are all for myself. I mean, you know, it's not that I think I'm selfish, but, you know, I do things. I live the life the way I want to live my life. So I'm doing these things for myself, you know, and I try to manage my life in a way that I, I don't think that, you know, I, I, I never had a, I never worked for somebody else. I've always had my own businesses. So, you know, I've had that type of freedom. And so I see life as choices. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, that's that's how I live my life. You hear that, folks? Neil ain't no sheep. He does what he wants. <laughs> no sheep. <laughs> um, what uh, what holiday would you erase from the calendar if you could? Oh, stupid President's Day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love that's, it. That's, 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 yeah. 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 Come on. That's like, no, actually, you know what? I take that back. I take that back. I would take off Columbus Day. Columbus yeah. does not deserve a holiday. Definitely does not deserve a holiday. <laughs> Columbus, first of all, was, was a killer. 
Um, he brought disease and he and to, to the natives, and uh, he did nothing positive. Yet he gets all this credit that he doesn't deserve, and he gets and and gets a legacy of a, of, a, of a holiday that goes that's gone on for hundreds of years. So yeah, I vote to take away Columbus Day. I feel like that could be a show alone. <laughs> you know, well, I, you know. After actually, Trump, people, after Trump's people, done, maybe they'll make an Obama Day. Oh Jesus! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they should just change Columbus Day to Indigenous People Day. I love that. that. I love should it. be the holiday. That is a fantastic change. Yep, love it. Yep, that is actually a really good idea. Um, what do you do when you can't fall asleep? I just lay there. Yeah. So I fall asleep. I don't fight it. You know, I just sit there and just like, all right, I'll fall asleep when I fall asleep. I'm a really good sleeper. You know, I always said if I could get paid for sleeping, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> My you know? God, I'd be um, I, I, I sleep eight hours every night. I, you know, some nights, I mean, not, not every night is, is a, is a, you know, a long a night I, I stay awake. But you ever, um, like, uh, yeah. when you're finishing one of your books or something, though, you ever have like ideas when you're laying there and you're like, it keeps you up because, you, yeah. you know, you start going down that train, train of thought. Well, no, it actually puts me to sleep. So, you know, I will start to think of my story. Um, and usually that that ends up putting me to sleep. Um, usually. So I'll, I'll just think of my tale of where I'm at. So I'm writing uh, no, I'm writing uh, Cape Gnome now and I came to a scene yesterday in, a, in my in the beginning of my book just getting started like chapter five or six so i came to a, a spot where i put this particular character in a very peculiar situation a compromising situation so i got him in this compromising situation now i got to figure out what what it is um so you know so i i know i put him in this he's, something's happening to him now i just got to figure out what actually is happening so um, I, I know it's very vague, but that's where I stop. And then I put it down. And last night I thought about it. And uh, when I woke up this morning, I, I had an idea. Um, so nice. that's, that's how this that's, sometimes these things work. That's excellent. Because you're well rested. That's uh, maybe that's yeah. the key. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I wake up early every morning to write. I wake up four o'clock every morning, four, four thirty um, to get my writing started. So I am much more of a morning person than I am of an evening person. Sounds like my personal hell. Yeah. Okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, What activity makes you totally lose track of time? Writing. Yeah. I could see that. I could write and all of a sudden two hours have gone by. I was like, whoa. So <laughs> usually I'm very conscious of time. That's just me. Um, I'm always on time. Um, usually I'm early. So I'm very aware of time except when I'm writing. That's when I lose track of my time. So I know that is the right thing for me to do because that's the one thing that just, um, I lose all, all focus of time. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. Um, what's the best thing that you've ever eaten? Oh, well, okay. So this is, this just happened. So, you know, so my girlfriend, uh, she lives in her house. I live in my house. And then when this whole thing came down, the quarantine thing came down, we ended up in separate houses and her parents, she brought her parents up from Queens. So, so I was sort of quarantined and I was quarantined here. So we haven't seen each other in literally seven weeks. Wow. Um, so, and I don't cook. Uh, so I was going to the grocery store and, and I, I, you know, there's, I, I was always able to fend for myself in terms of getting food. But I got, I went to this health food co-op that I'm, I'm very involved with and they would make prepared foods and I would eat really well. 
But when this whole thing went down, that whole kitchen closed. So now I'm at the grocery store going to the freaking frozen food and getting frozen <laughs> food. And so I'm like, now, like, the, and I've never gone on that route before. So now I'm eating frozen food for seven weeks in a row. I'm like, so freaking Talk about personal like, health. Yep. I, <laughs> I never want to put one of those. I have, this, this sound of the microwave turns me, turns me <laughs> off now. So, so two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I went over her mother. They sent, she sent her parents home. They were driving her crazy. So she sent them back into Queens. She's home alone now. So I went over there and she made me dinner. I was like, this is the best meal I've ever had <laughs> in my life. Um, oh, was she's it? like, really? Yep. <laughs> it was salmon. And it was, you know, it was, it was just a nice meal, but it was home yeah, cooked. Yes. Everything was organic. It was, it was the best. You know, there was a movie a long, long time ago about an orphan boy named Dondi. And I remember this as if I was a kid when I saw, I must have been six years old when I saw this movie. And he was an orphan. He was out on the streets and, you know, he's about my age when I'm watching it. He's dirty and he was living in, in the gutter. Um, and he finally got rescued and he was given a shower and they gave him here, they gave him a plate of cookies to eat. He picked up one cookie in his right hand, one cookie in his left hand. He took a bite of the cookie in his right hand. And before he could swallow, he took a bite of the cookie in his left hand. I'm going, that's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't say Oliver and that that you were eating gruel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of an Oliver Oliver esque type story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better food. Yep. <laughs> what awesome. a, a nasty bowl of like a uh, you know gruel or, or or oatmeal is like the best thing you've ever had. They'd be like, oh geez, yeah, <laughs> you're hitting low. At meal. that point, it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, question. Oh, are we at, tw are we we at 20 yet? What number are we at? We're close. Yeah, we're, we're close. almost done. Yep. Um, number 19. Last, uh, second last question. Have you ever had a crush on a fictional character? And if so, who? Well, you know, um, I sort I, I of crushes from the characters I write. Um, you know, um, yeah. I have this, uh, I'm writing this, I just finished this manuscript now called White Slaves. And my main character is this beautiful redhead woman that is the, the most stunning woman you could possibly ever imagine. She ends up in a horrible situation, but I'm trying to create the most beautiful, luxurious, uh, you know, heart wrenching, you know, libido destroying uh, female I could think of. So yeah, I I'm love in love it. with this character. Wow. Um, yeah. Cool. So you know, and she's also put into a horrible, horrible situation. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of passion like in this story, if if not like from your own personal passion for this character. So that's, that's yeah. Really well, there cool. is going to be a lot of passion. It's a romantic historical novel. Um, so you know, I have never gone down this path before. Thank goodness I have a female editor because she'll mm -hmm. pull out those female uh, elements. That needs to be drawn out that as a man, sometimes you don't see. So that's very helpful by having someone balance me out and say, you know, this needs this relationship needs a little bit more developing. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the next uh, we're going to be working on that next month uh, on the new book. God, the urge to make a pullout joke is just so so strong right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep going. Please keep going. <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, question number 20. Uh, what's the favorite podcast you've been on in the last 12 hours? Oh, God. This is number one. Yay. This is the best podcast I've been on 
ever. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we you. love to hear. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, that we had a very special surprise for our listeners. Neil, how about you tell us, uh, or everyone who's listening, uh, what we've got for them in store, or what you personally have yeah. in store for them? Yes. Well, you know, being a book writer is wonderful, but you also have to be a bookseller. So uh, in order to be a bookseller, you have to have lots of good reviews on Amazon. Uh, the more reviews you have, the more books you sell. People like to see four and five star reviews. Mm -hmm. So in order to uh, encourage that with my new book, Hope City, what I'm offering is a free download of Hope City, a PDF version of the book, um, which you can read on your iPad or wherever, um, by just sending me an email to neilperrygordon at gmail.com. And I will send you back the PDF. And all I ask in return is that you find a time to read the book. Hopefully, you'll love the book. And then if you do, please take five minutes and go to Amazon and leave me a review. And don't be stingy with the stars. Mm, you know, stars. the more stars, the better. Yep. Uh, five stars is, 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 is amazing. We should um, start off so, with two uh, just because it's free. <laughs> Well, I think you start with four. Yeah, right. I think that, is that the going rate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, seriously, no, I'd be happy to send that off to anybody who's, who's interested. So just go to my email. Just send me an email, neilperrygordon at gmail.com, and I'll send you off a, a free PDF for the book. That's amazing. Well, I, I look forward to uh, being able to read this myself. It, uh, you've already uh, pre-sold this uh, to me. I, I mean, the character sounds quite interesting, and uh, knowing there's uh, a little bit of a... Uh, historical uh, value into that as well. Uh, I really look forward to reading it. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd maybe like to plug? Uh, I, I know we've uh, talked about uh, some of your most recent uh, novels, but maybe you want to let people know how they can get in uh, uh, their hands on uh, some of your other novels in the past. Well, they're all on Amazon. Uh, I, and my first two books, A Cobbler's Tale and Moonflower, are available not only as ebook and paperback, but also as Audible. Mm-hmm. So you can, if you want to listen to the books, that's there. Even and better. my next two books, Righteous One and Bomb Squad, are being recorded as we speak. So in the next couple of weeks to months, that will be also available. And Hope City is coming out in uh, ebook and paperback, and it'll be a, a, probably about two months before it's had an audible. Wonderful. So you have a couple of different ways of enjoying my books. Just amazing. Awesome. And um, can people pick it up through your website as well? You can go to my website, but there's links to Amazon. I don't sell anything off the website. Okay, perfect. People find it more credible by buying things through Amazon. So we just let Amazon do it. 100%. Well, we will be sure to um, post up uh, your social medias and your website, as well as uh, some links to Amazon for your recent books on our guest page of our website for the listeners who potentially might be driving and listening to this right now. And uh, other than that, uh, Neil, we really want to appreciate uh, say uh, how much we appreciate you being on the show. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we've had a wonderful time. Yeah, we'll hopefully uh, we'll check up with you again in uh, a future episode to uh, see what else is coming new from uh, the great mind of Neil Perry Gordon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. So this is a good time for us to pitch our social media. You could get us on our website, thefap.ca. On uh, Twitter, is thefap4. You can get us on Instagram. Is the Fab Podcast? Don't forget our Facebook, the Freaking Awesome Podcast, and uh, you can always reach out via email, the Fab Podcast at gmail dot com. Bum, 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 bum,
I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pocket. Ah, uh, uh, not again. Like a tweet. <laughs>